My guys were in and out of it in about three and a half weeks. It sold in seven days, and I walked away with a check for 61 or 62,000 bucks. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FunNet Flip because FunNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name is Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We get straight to real estate investing advice that moves your business forward because it's the best ever. So of course, it's going to move your business forward. We've talked to many previous best ever guests who have given us a lot of really good information that's uh, helped me personally and and from the the messages I've I've received and from the comments on iTunes in the the five star reviews it's helped some other people as well and so hopefully as best ever listener you're getting a lot of value from this and really quickly before we get into the interview I just want to read a very quick review one of those it's five stars it says good stuff exclamation mark this is from z stan 80 so props to you z stan 80 z stan 80 says love this podcast joe does a great job with his guests asking great questions and more importantly he gets specifics from them about their deals he always brings on great guests who have used different strategies to build their real estate business and how appropriate is this with today's best ever guest because he has implemented a couple different strategies to build his business. And we're going to talk about that. So with us today, we've got Brock Collins. How you doing, Brock? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for being on the show and really looking forward to having you and talking about the, the different ways that you're investing. 
and the the different ways that you're growing your business. So a little bit about Brock before he gets into his background in more detail. He is the host of the popular podcast called Freedom Real Estate Investing. And he is a crazy person just like I am because he does his podcast daily as well. So you've got to go check that out. He is based in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Did I pronounce that? Yes, you did. Uh, Urbana, right? <laughs> okay. Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. That's where uh, the Fighting Illini mm-hmm. are based, uh, University of Illinois. He's purchased over 100 houses and he started investing with no money and some bad credit. You, in your um, bio, you said no credit, but I assume you had higher than one point. So I put, I put bad credit as credit. Well, let me clarify that. It wasn't bad credit. I just had no credit. I have no established credit to work on. Oh, okay. Yeah, good clarification. So no esta- so no money and no established credit to work on or work from, and uh, he, which helped him uh, become an expert at no money down deals. And he has his business, as I was alluding to earlier, separated into three different categories or strategies. One is wholesale, which is about 20% of his focus, 50% fix and flips, and 30% buy and hold. So wholesale, fix and flip, buy and hold. So with that, Brock, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Absolutely. I'll try to give you this short recap here. I was raised in a very blue collar family, Joe. We never went without, always had enough and came from a very loving family. So I I value that. However, uh, investing and those kind of words were not part of our vocabulary growing up. And so um, when I uh, got to the age, I graduated high school. I tried college, got straight A's, didn't like it. And I went out and thought, I'm going to create a new path. And what I wanted to do was get into real estate investing. The challenge for me, Joe, was, as I said, I didn't have money or established credit. I didn't have family that had money. Uh, And so I I was out on my own. I was out on that pier by myself. So I started studying uh, creative real estate investing. And and you've got listeners on your show, Joe, that are all ages. But uh, in the late 80s, really late 80s, I bought a course uh, from the online guru, Carlton Sheets, and it talked about all these crazy no down payment ways from wraparound mortgages and crazy and assumable loans, which aren't even a part of vocabulary today. But I started studying that and I reached out to a gentleman that I knew in our town that owned the largest real estate uh, uh, agency. And I took him to lunch and I said, hey, can you can you teach me about you know how this works? And he said, if you come to work for me, Brock, I'll teach you and connect you with all the attorneys in town, all the bankers, all the other real estate agents, and it'll be great. And so I gave up investing for a few years, Joe, and because uh, I hadn't started yet. I just educated. And I became uh, an agent, worked it for several years, and I got brainwashed because it, it told – what I learned was when I got deep into that side of the business, it, everything was conventional. You want to buy this investment property, 20 25% down. By the way, I need your earnest money and your pre-approval. And for everyone who was buying houses, Joe, it was, hey, give me 10% down at the time and uh, you know, pre-approval, give me your earnest money. And it was like, wait, that's not what I read and how all these people are doing deals. And so after a number of years, I decided to trade in that hat, get out and get back into the investor side to get into some deals myself. All right. So you got out of the more, you, you, list, you learned the creative techniques, then you got into the traditional world. Then you're like, all right, this isn't what I was studying before. Um, then you started doing what and, and what specifically? Oh, man, this is glamorous. Your listeners going to love this, man. 
All right. So when we listed houses, our firm uh, and agency I worked with was were an advocate on, if you guys clean this house up, you put new carpet in it, you paint it, we can sell it faster and for more money. And so most of the time, painters would come in and say, yeah, I'll paint this house for three to 6,000 bucks. I'll be in and out in a couple of days. And so when I was getting out of the business, I didn't want to go work for somebody. And so I wanted to work for myself so I could have the freedom to get into the game again. So glamorous enough, I became a house painter. I started a, a house painting company and all of my buddies, there was 400 agents in our county at the time. All of the agents started sending me, hey, we've got a house, come bid it. Okay, here you go here. And because I, they were referring me, I was getting a way higher price than an average Joe from the phone book, right? And so it wasn't glamorous, but it allowed me the freedom to get to you to maintain my bills at the time, if you will, while I was still having the freedom to implement these strategies a little bit at a time. Okay. How many years did it take you to study the the non-traditional? And how many years did were you doing the traditional with your the owner of the largest real estate agency? I was an agent for, I believe, about three years. Prior to that, for about 18 months, I had studied creative real estate investing. Then, of course, it, the traditional sign really brainwashed me to see all the real motions working fast and everyone saying this is the only way it can work. And it wasn't. And, and then, so when I got out, Joe, I studied maybe another six or eight months. And unfortunately, what happened to me, and I think it happens to a lot of investors, is I really became a walking encyclopedia. I knew inside and out the traditional side. I knew inside and out the, the non-traditional side. But, you know, I never was doing deals. And so I went out. I got a mentor in my own backyard who, who started with nothing, made a very big success of himself, and it allowed me to uh, – he, he mentored me so that I could get to my first couple deals and, and really show me the possibilities of investing with nothing down. All right. And how long were you painting houses until had you purchased any deals up to this point before you started your house painting company? I did one thing. And, you know, a lot of my buddies at the time were buying, you know, pretty nice houses and fancy cars. And what I did is in order to have freedom again of money, I bought a, a duplex and I fixed it up, moved in one side. And my tenant on the other side not only paid my entire mortgage, but there was an additional $200 a month in cash flow. So really, he, he let me live there free, and he bought my groceries every month at the time. So that's, that's what I did, and that was the only house I had bought up to that point was the duplex I lived in for free. Okay, and how long after you started your painting company, after you left the traditional world of being a real estate agent and started painting houses, how long until you purchased your next property? I'm going to say, Joe, between 12 and 18 months. I don't remember precisely. Okay. And once you made that next purchase that or the this would have been your second property, how did you purchase it? I wholesaled it. I wholesaled uh, the first several deals, meaning I got them under contract. I found a cash buyer to buy them from me. And so it didn't take any of my, my own money, any of my own credit to do the deal. And so the first several deals, that's what I did. And uh, it really helped me to understand my communities, understand how to find the deals, understand different creative strategies to do it. And that's really how I kind of got into the game. Are you married? I am married. Were you married at the time of you learning creative financing, being a real estate agent, and then having your painting company? Well, bless my wife. She's a great gal, and she stuck with me because, you know, we were married when I was in real estate. And, you know, being a realtor is way sexy of a title than, than 
telling people, oh, my husband's a house painter. <laughs> and so she stuck with me when, you know, you had the, you had the good title and, and through, you know, the dollars went down and, and just she's been with me through it all and, and just has been one of my uh, biggest promoters, if you will. Yeah. What's that like whenever you are a real estate agent and you're at an established company and you come home and you have the conversation with your significant other that you're now going to start your own house painting company? <laughs> well, my wife at the time understood how much money the, uh, I mean, the painters were grossly being overpainted because they were referrals directly, you know, from these other agents. And so it was almost a name your price. Uh, what is it worth to you? And my clients will probably take it because I said, you're a great guy. And so it, it wasn't from her vantage point when I was a realtor, Joe, I worked long, late hours and always on the weekend and my phone and I'm going to date myself a little bit, but my beeper was always going off at dinner and she was not a fan of that type of a lifestyle. So the, the conversation of, I think we need to look at a different strategy for making life work for us. I'm very fortunate that she was open to that. Got it. So she was the perceived risk of starting in your own company was mitigated somewhat, if not in, in totally from the freedom of the beeper going off at dinner time uh, because you're controlling your, your time more so than you would if you're at the, the mercy of crazy clients who are wanting to buy a house. That's right. Got it. Okay. You started wholesaling as a, with your painting company. Did the painting company help generate leads? No, it did not. Wow, that's interesting. So, because the leads that were coming, the, the agents that were calling me, they'd already met with these uh, sellers and they said, you know, if you get the new carpet, new this, I can retail your house for this retail price. So, you know, once a number is mentioned, whether an agent can get it or not, in the seller's mind, they've already cashed that check. You know what I mean? Yep. So, for me to come in and say, well, I know the agent said 150, but, you know, I'll give you 110 tomorrow. I mean, you know, it doesn't quite work in that manner. So how are you getting the wholesale leads? I took money from my painting business that I was making. And I put at the time, all I had, Joe, was enough money to put ads in the paper. Uh, so I, there was a, th a, a small like weekly paper and there was a, there was a general paper for the, for the city. And it just in the real estate uh, for sale section. And it was just a three line ad said, I buy houses, close quickly. Uh, and here's my number. Huh. Just like that. And how, do you remember how many leads you got from an ad uh, and how much you spent? Well, the, the ad at the time was about $35 a month in the big paper. And what happened was it was in it was in that paper, Joe, for about three months. And my mentor at the time told me, put it in there, leave it in there. Don't take it out. So after three months, I'm thinking, this is crazy. This thing doesn't work. You know, I'm, I'm, th I'm losing steam. And then I got a call on a Saturday morning, and it was a gentleman who had two vacant rental properties. He'd owned them for years, and he said, you know, come make an offer. I I'm, I'm really want to sell. So I contracted with that guy that day on both properties, and I wholesaled both of them. At one of them, I made like eight grand. The other one, I made like 10,000 bucks wholesaling. No money, no credit needed, and here I was overnight, just 18 grand in my pocket, and it was like, holy cow, I can't believe that just happened. That's worth three paint jobs on a house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How did you have the buyer lined up? I actually uh, was networking with uh, investor agents, and I was telling them what I was looking for and going to do, and did they know other cash buyers? And so I didn't have the strategies down of building a buyer's list because I wasn't sure 
exactly at the time how I was going to consistently find deals. And so once I had a contract to buy this property, I called one of the investor uh, agents and I said, hey, this is what I got. And I'll either list it with you because in my provision in that in the contract, it said now I have control of the property and, and I have the right to list it as the controlling interest on the, on the property or I can sell it. So this agent actually, Joe, had two or three, I can't remember, different uh, buyers and yeah, so the cash buyers came from the agent. So I paid the agent a, a little token commission he was totally happy with. It wasn't even, a, it was, I think it was like 500 bucks a piece. It wasn't a standard commission. And um, that's kind of how we are off to the races. All right. And uh, at what point did you start fixing and flipping or buy and holding, whichever one came first? The fixing and flipping came next. It was, I take that back. I did buy a buy and hold, but I was looking for an infusion of cash. And so as I told you, Joe, I was a walking encyclopedia. Probably every exit strategy on the planet and every creative way to do a deal, I had just nosed on. And one of them was short sales. Now, mind you, this was probably in uh, 98 or 99. And I had a guy call me and he said, I'm in pre-foreclosure and I've got this huge second mortgage and I'm in foreclosure on both of them. And so I did a short sale on his second uh, mortgage, and it was like for 37000 bucks. and I short-sailed that second mortgage. I got them to agree to a $5,000 short, and so by doing that, it created an instant $32,000, $33,000 equity in the property, and basically, it was a, it was a easy fix and flip. I, I had the painters uh, that, I, that actually worked for me at one time come paint the outside. We put in a new carpet and new paint. And maybe a new toilet, I can't remember, but that was it. And, and on that particular property, I had a private money lender, no interest uh, in the property, no equity in the property, of course, but just uh, an, uh, a return on interest. And uh, gave me all the money to buy it, all the money to fix it up. And I think after all expenses, I, I walked away with a check for thirty six or 37000 bucks. And when you get a deal like that and you're not used to money like that, that can really, that can really change your outlook on where you want to spend your time. How long did it take you from start to finish? We were in and out on the work probably two and a half weeks. Uh, we listed the house and within the first eight or nine days, I accepted the contract. And then, I don't know, 35 days later, we were at closing with the check. How did you find the private money lender on your first fix and flip? Yeah, they were in my sphere of influence. And here's why I want to tell your listeners that, you know, if you're really treating it as a business, you really got to treat it as a business and not a hobby. Because I went to three different people in my sphere of influence who I know I know had money. And I told them about the deal. I told them how big of a discount I had got it under contract for. And would they be open to working with me on it? And the first three of them said no. And two of them had their money in other things they wanted to. The other third guy didn't totally understand being a private lender. And so you just keep going. When you want something really bad and the roadblocks come up, you just keep going. And so I... I went to the fourth guy and he said, not only, and, and I knew this guy from my, my circle of influence. And, and, uh, this gentleman not only said yes, and he said, I'll give you the money to fix it. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to even record a, a mortgage against the property. He said, just give me a promissory note, just in case something happens to me. I trust you. That was the craziest thing I ever heard, man. It, it, so he gave me all the money. No mortgage was ever recorded on the property. It was crazy. What were the terms? The terms were 8% interest per annum. And the other interesting thing that I negotiated, and he was a very, this guy just really wanted me to succeed. He, he'd done well in real estate himself as a builder uh, and um, developer. 
And um, and so I negotiated with them that all the interest payments would just accrue because I didn't know, Joe, you know, some fix and flips can be done in a month or two, but they might sit on the market for six months or longer. And so I didn't really know. And I didn't have an endless supply of cash to make these monthly interest payments. So I just negotiated with them that it was 8% interest per annum and that the interest payments were just accruing against the, uh, the note until uh, I sold the property. And you mentioned that he was in your circle of influence. How did you get to know him initially? He went to the same church that I went to. So, and, and there was, I don't know, there was five or 600 people in that church, but I, I had known him. I didn't have a deep relationship with him, uh, but in the circles that we ran in, he kind of connected in those same circles. And what about the first three? How'd you know them? One of them was also from my church and uh, two of the others were just family friends of friends. Once you ended up you know, getting more and more deals, you've done over 100 deals. Once you did more and more, what were you doing? You could be talking about wholesale, fix and flip or buy and hold. What are you doing now that you weren't doing before? Well, I don't usually go this deep in, on some of this, but I'll share it with your audience. And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, don't put your, all of your eggs in one basket. I was planning for my future, so I paused all the flipping and everything for a year and a half, and I started buying these properties in tougher areas. And all of these areas were uh, subsidized living areas where, where typically Section 8 was paying most or all of the rent. And the reason I did that was I was seeing all these investors that I ran with in town buying in these areas, and the cash flows were three, four, five hundred $500 a month on each property. And I thought, oh, gosh, if I can buy 15 or 20 of these – That'll be plenty of cash flow for a retirement. And I got a long way to go before I retire. And so I, I spent a year and a half buying in these neighborhoods. And it was beautiful, Joe, for a while. It, I, it you know, was kind of one of those things I was just humbled to be in that spot. And then uh, what happened is that the housing authority in our area, uh, a new director came in. And in about a month's time with a swipe of a pen, those rent rates went from uh, a cash flow on my side from four to five hundred bucks a month down to some of them were barely break even, just like that. Totally mm. out of my control. I never saw it coming. I'd never heard of that happening in our area. And so the other hiccup that happened at the time, there was that shift in the market in 07 and 08, is I had bought in those tough areas. The FHA money, the, the values had gone down. The FHA money had totally disappeared in our area, in most areas. And so I was completely stuck with properties that were underwater and I was very lucky if I could break even on them. And so I tell for, for if you've ever heard that saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I did it. And I should have listened to the author of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you give us an example of what the rental rate was before the new the housing authority director came and what was it after? I had we, there was more to this. And I, let me tell you what that means is I had some uh, a buy level property. And I think I owed at the time like 75 grand on it. I was renting it for 1300 bucks a month. And what happened was they uh, went when they swiped the pin and said and my tenant left. And so I put it back up for rent for 1300 bucks a month. It was normal. The inspector came in from housing authority and said, OK, well, here's it's all changed now. What you have to do is you have to prove that this property is worth 1300. And I said, well, I've been getting 1300 for several years. The, the market's established that. And they said, no, you need to give us three properties and you need to find them on your own that tell us why this qualifies for 13. And if you can't, we're going to go find properties of other, you know, all over in the blue collar areas and 
say what regular tennis might pay for this. And so it, it created quite a bit more work for me. So that $1,300 a month went down to a, it was 985 a month, I think it was. And so I was still above, above water on that, but it took the interest of owning that property away of just a hundred bucks a month cash flow in a tough area. You know what I mean? Could you have not have, have showed him some of your other properties in that area? So, well, these aren't only thirteen hundred; these are seventeen hundred dollars properties. Yeah, they, and they changed the voucher amounts too, and that was the, that was the other challenge. And and but what happened is every every investor in, in those parks or not parks, but in those uh, tougher areas, if you will, <laughs> was that a Freudian? Slip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, every investor in those areas, it was it they were experiencing the same thing, and so it became a prove what it's worth. And if not, here's our $300-ish less a month that we give you. The, ch- the bigger challenge that was happening is the guys that didn't buy right, like I thought I'd bought right. I bought with chunks of equity in it, and that's how I like to buy every property. I don't want any – I don't ever want to speculate when I buy a property that I'm going to make money. I want to make sure I'm buying chunks of equity at the time. So even if there's a shift, I'm okay. What happened was there was a shift. And I was okay because it went basically down to value. Uh, you know, that 20, 25% shift came down to where I was at. So I was at what they were worth at the time. Most investors who overpaid were losing him. I mean, I had buddies that had 100, 150 houses in these areas. And life, they were, I mean, one of them had airplanes from the cash flow, you know, Maseratis. I mean, it, it was, cash flow was crazy. And one swipe of a pin, a couple of them went bankrupt and gave all these houses back to the banks. God, that's that's incredible. What did you end up doing with those homes? And how roughly how many did you have at that time? I had about 20 in those areas. Okay. And what did you end up doing with those 20 homes? Oh, let me just tell you, it was one of the worst experiences of, of my investing career because it was such a, you know, it was such a, a mental strain to know or, or to see the outcome, to know that I, at, when I bought them, I had 25% equity. The market has now slid, and now I owe what it's worth, um, and my cash flows are gone. How? <laughs> what am I going to do? So one at a time. Uh, and, and by the way, the when when all the uh, other investors were losing 50, 100, 150 houses in these areas, these were local commercial banks who had commercial uh, and portfolio in-house notes on these. So mm-hmm. as they're taking all these back, they're being flooded with losses. And so I couldn't go to these other investors and say, hey, you know, I'm still getting a couple hundred bucks, maybe max a cash flow. You want to buy this? Because the commercial and portfolio loans in our area, they were like, yep, we're not doing single family loans right now till we fix this, these hiccups. And so I was really stuck. So what ended up happening is uh, I had to wait because investors weren't buying these. And I had to wait for um, uh, the tenants to leave and one at a time. If I sold them at, at break even, I was thrilled. And for a good number of them, I brought money to closing just to be done with this chapter of life. It was a learning experience. I learned great things from it. I, I don't wish anyone would ever go through that experience. So hopefully your listeners can take some value away from this. And so <laughs> I learned not to put all the eggs in one basket. So what year was this? That was, uh, well, when everything slid, it was 2007, 2008. And it probably took me two years to get out of all of them. Oh, so the housing authority's new directors, their reign whenever they entered the office coincided with 2007, 2008, whenever the economy was... Yes. Okay. Oh, that's the perfect storm for you. It was a double whammy, man. It was bad. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, what is your best real estate investing advice ever, Brock? Here's the thing. As you heard with real estate investing, and it doesn't matter if you're buying huge buildings like Joe does, if you're buying single families or, or small multifamilies, there will be hiccups. There will be challenges along the way. So first, uh, it's a four-step process. First, I'm going to tell you, determine your why. Why is it you want to get into this business and invest in some kind of real estate? And it's got to be good because when these hiccups come up, Joe, you, that's going to help you work your way through them. Um, the second thing I'm going to tell you is educate yourself. And once you educate yourself, take action. And from there, never, ever give up. That's the best advice ever. Why do you do a podcast and why daily? You know, I'll tell you, and I shared with you a little before, but I've really set up my business now as I've had a lot of learning experiences in the business and I set it up as a life of freedom. And so uh, it's not uncommon for me to work 10 to 15 hours uh, a week on my business. And then I have a lot of free time. And so probably like you, Joe, I absolutely love real estate investing. I love talking about it. I love doing it. And I like connecting with other investors. And so uh, that podcast, uh, the Freedom Real Estate Investing Podcast, has helped me connect with investors that I've heard about for years, just never connected with. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the Cashflow Quadrant. All right. Well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's author is Robert Kiyosaki. So you can check out Robert Kiyosaki's episode. He's been on the show before with us. And it is episode 262 titled, Want to Do a Deal with Robert Kiyosaki? Well, you better know the answer to this one question. <laughs> Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Personal growth was probably when I lost uh, th those houses and I spent, like I said, about 18 months set try thinking I'm doing the right thing, setting myself up for a life of cash flow. And I forgot about doing all the other things, about bringing income in for now so that the right now was taken care of. Because when I didn't bring income for now, and then all of those deals I spent a year and a half really putting in my retire-rich real estate bucket didn't work out. It created a big hole. So make sure your right now is taken care of. What's it like having that conversation at that moment with your wife? You know, if your marriage is on the rocks, it's going to get rockier. <laughs> i just say it. Thankfully for me, my wife is a great gal, loves me to pieces, and I'm very fortunate of that. So those conversations when you're in a, a pretty solid relationship after, after years and years of being together, it's not as hard as if you're on the rocks. Any tips for approaching that conversation? <laughs> Here's the tip. Never get there. Just listen, educate yourself <laughs> like never it. get there. Best ever deal you've done. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of them. And, and I'll tell you, the deals now are getting way better just because I'm being very specific on what I'm looking for. And I pass on a lot of deals. Uh, a recent deal I just picked up, it was a cosmetic fix and flip. My guys were in and out of it in about three and a half weeks. It sold in seven days. And I walked away with a check for 61 or 62,000 bucks net after all expenses. What was the purchase price and what did you, how did you find it? I found it through networking actually. And oh gosh, the purchase price was Oh man, there's too many deals roughly, going on. Roughly, yeah, yeah, roughly. Purchase price was probably 75 grand. Yeah, purchase price was 75 grand, and I think I had a, a hundred and five in it, 
And after I paid, I sold it for 173, I think. And after I paid holding costs and commission and my pro, and my expenses, there was 62 or three left on the deal. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? I'm excited about my uh, Freedom Real Estate Investing podcast. And Joe, it allowed me to connect with you and get to know you, man. So it's you know it's it's been a great thing. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to help people, and a lot of people do things to always get something back. And I like to help people who are in need of things that I can provide or know someone that can provide, whether it's financial help or business help, and do things for others because I have the free time to do that with nothing in return, without asking up anything in return. Do you have a, a best ever quote? The founder of uh, Remax Real Estate Agent, or it's, uh, Remax Realty uh, one time said, assemble the best talent you can find. Decide what it is you want to do in reverse. So decide what you want to do. Assemble the best talent you can find and never, ever give up. What's that quote mean to you? It kind of goes back to determining your why and know what you want to do. Of course, you got to educate yourself. You just can't jump in because you'll probably lose lose dollars on that. But it means to me, understand what it is in life. If you don't know what you want and how to get there, you'll never get there. And then when it talks about surrounding yourself with with people, the, the best in the business, there's a lot of things, Joe, that I'm not good at. I'm not good at lifting a hammer. I'm not good at putting windows and siding in. I'm not good at putting kitchens in. And so I hire the best people that can do all that for me. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? The biggest mistake is not continuing my marketing. When you're in the single family or small multifamily business, most of the deals are found on off-market deals. And the biggest challenge, I think, for me as I was getting started and a lot of investors is to turn the marketing on and then get a deal and shut it off. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I shut the marketing off. Now I don't have another deal in the pipeline. So probably my biggest thing I learned is never shut the marketing off. And what's the best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? You can go to freedomrealestateinvesting.com or just on iTunes. You can search, you can search under Real Estate Investing Podcast. You'll find Joe's awesome podcast along with the Freedom Real Estate Investing Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that shout out. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to mention to the best ever listeners that we haven't talked about? I like the best advice ever. You know, I, I, determine your why, educate yourself, take action, never give up. And by the way, I've been doing this 16 years, Joe, and I educate myself every day. I, what I find is no matter how much you know, there's a whole bunch more you don't know. So I'm just a student of always learning, always educating on a daily basis. Well, it certainly is the theme with you from the podcast that you uh, have started where I think you've, you've done it for more than two months now on a daily basis where it's inter- with interview format. And even going back much farther than that, when you reached out after you learned the creative financing through the Carlton Sheets thing, and then you reached out to the owner of the largest real estate agency and uh, worked with that individual and their company for three years decided it wasn't the right thing for you um, so you started your own painting company and there was because you saw an opportunity in the marketplace that's when you surrounded yourself with the right people and then saw an opportunity and then you acted on it which follows exactly the template or the quote that you mentioned decide what you want to do assemble the best team in the business and never give up and then I, th- I think what's also interesting about your journey is when you were from your vantage point or from your, your uh, wife's vantage point, uh, the beeper was, was <laughs> beeping all hours of the night whenever you're at dinner. So there was a mutual interest in you doing something else, uh, which is important. 
And then whenever you started your, your business and you were finding funding for your first fix and flip, it ended up getting, you got a no on one, two, three occasions. And then on the fourth, there was a gentleman who was in, as you call your circle of influence, specifically you met him through the church that you attended or still attend. And he ended up uh, just doing the, the deal with a promissory note uh, at 8% interest. And then all interest payments would be accrued because you weren't sure about the holding period or any of that. And really, he wanted you to be successful and he wanted to help you succeed. So again, surrounding yourself with the right people who have successfully done it, because as, as you mentioned, he had done very well as a builder and a developer. And then the learning that you talked about. So thank you for sharing that, where you started buying properties in tougher areas with Section 8 vouchers and spent a year and a half. You took a year and a half away from your company and you focus on buying those properties in that area. You accumulated about 20 of them. Then the combination of both 2007, 2008 and the director of the housing authority coming on and and taking the job slashed the rental rates from, uh, in one example, $1,300 to under $1,000. Uh, your properties were no longer cash flowing, or if they were, they were barely cash flowing. And you've got very challenging residents, I'm sure, uh, on top of that with all sorts of fun maintenance things with those properties. So then it's, you know, it's a matter of starting, taking a different approach. And um, just one of the, as you said, one of the worst experiences of your investing career with those 20 homes, but you sold them off one by one. And sometimes um, you even brought some cash to close and to, to, to restart on those and and now you're up and running and uh, doing really well with the properties that you have and uh, actively doing deals and then you know your podcast is something that uh, I've been a guest on and uh, really enjoyed the, the the conversation and really enjoyed this conversation as well so thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your experiences your learnings and your best ever advice and talk to you soon I hope you have the best ever week thanks Joe you do the same <laughs>